In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Just a few days ago, I was, I was at an old novitiate of the Christian brothers. All of these old religious, religious houses are being put up for sale and repurposed for other uses. This specific building was at one point the house of formation for the Christian brothers and is now as some sort of hotel, restaurant and that sort of a thing. And I was there meeting somebody and, and they asked, well, what is innovation? So I explained, of course, that yes, it's a it's house of formation for, for the Christian brothers, for, for a religious order. That's where they do the formation. Then they're, once they're professed, then they can go off and be assigned somewhere else. And I said, it's a little bit like a seminary. For a priest, before somebody's ordained a priest, he spends time in a seminary. Then he's ordained, then he receives his posting. And this person asked, well, why were these Christian brothers never ordained priests? And I said, because they, that wasn't their vocation. Their vocation was to be religious. And the life of a religious is something that is completely misunderstood not only in the world, but perhaps also in our own circles. We don't really see what the place of a religious is or why it's important for the church to have religious vocations. Yes, we see a priest, we see the work that he does and confessions and masses, but what about a religious, especially a religious who hides themselves behind closed doors and some of them are, are purely contemplative and they have no contact with the outside world. So, what is a religious? Well, to keep it very simple, a religious is somebody who takes certain vows, poverty, chastity, obedience, in order to more perfectly fulfill that law of charity the love of God and love of neighbor. Okay, so it's not, it's not something that's completely different than the Christian life. It is simply a more perfect way of living out the Christian life. Under these vows, of course. And the purpose of these vows is to streamline this life and not have these different things in life, which very easily we find, in our, of course, we find in our life, pull us down and pull us away from our Lord Jesus Christ. And these things, of course, they're not wrong in themselves. We all have a right to have them. But a religious makes that conscious intention to offer them up and to consecrate their life specifically to God without these things. They make this, this vow, this, this solemn promise not to own any possessions. Of course, again, something that we all have a right to have. And to, to not have a spouse, to not have a companion that they, they can walk through life with. 
and then also to not have the freedom to make all of their own decisions, which is really the biggest thing. To trust and to obey the superiors that, they will, that will be in charge of them throughout their life. The first indication of this we have in the scripture is Matthew chapter 18. It's this episode you know very well. This rich ruler, he came up to our Lord Jesus Christ and he asked, so we don't know the background, but he must have heard of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he heard him preaching. He saw the miracles that he did and he came up to him and he said, what can I do? So our Lord, of course, starts with with the basics. He said, you can follow the commandments and he lists out some of the commandments. And the ruler responds by saying, all of these things I've followed, I've done since my youth. And that's the moment our Lord looks at him and, and can see that he's looking for something else. He's done the basics, and the reason why he's coming to our Lord is he's asking, what else can I do? And at that point, our Lord says, or rather, he doesn't tell him, he invites him. He says, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the gospel says that this rich man, because he had very many possessions, he left sad from the conversation, and we don't hear anything else from this man. So it's not an easy thing. It's not, it's not something light, but it's something that all of us have, have to have the spirit of, regardless of whether we're religious or not. We all have to have the spirit of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And as I said, the religious simply take this to the next level and renounce these things and consecrate their lives to God. Probably the most, the most important misunderstanding of the religious is that this renouncement, these vows, it's not something that they're losing. Well, yes, it is materially, but it's not a suppression. And what happens from this, from this, this renouncement is this freedom to give themselves to our Lord Jesus Christ without having these distractions, these pulls from different things in the world, and, and really what happens is an actual freedom to give themselves to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's give a concrete example for this. I think it was, it's over 10 years ago now when I first walked the, when I only walked the, the Camino, so it's when you, you, walk, you walk for about a month. From the, the northern tip of Spain, you go from, from the west and you go all the way, you, you, you walk all the way to, sorry, east and you walk all the way to the west, west coast. So you're walking for, for one month and through, through the duration of the month, everything that you need, you're, you, you have on your knapsack, your, your, your backpack. And the first few days, it's quite tough to get used to it because you have all this weight, you're not used to it, you're walking 25, 30 kilometers a day, and all this stuff is it's, it's pulling you down, you're very sore. 
And I remember a couple days after we, we first started, people started to go through all of the contents of their bag and to discard those unnecessary things which they had brought and which may have made life a little bit easier, but which they had decided they didn't need at this point. And I remember one particular example. One of, one of the guys who was with us, he took his tube of toothpaste and he emptied out half of the contents in order to make his bag as light as possible for the journey. <clears throat> of course, as I said, we lost those, those clothes or whatever else that we got rid of, but we were more free to make that journey unhampered by these unnecessary things for the rest of that month. And essentially, that's what the religious life is doing. It's making the person more free, unhampered by these poles of the world to consecrate their life to our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10. Actually, this, was, this happened just yesterday. If you read the gospel from yesterday, it was the Feast of St. Martha. We have this episode of Martha, right? She's the one running around the house. She's cleaning things. She's preparing the food. And then you've got Mary, who's sitting at the feet of our Lord and who's having a conversation, who's speaking with him. And Martha comes over and she rebukes him. She says, she's, she rebukes, rebukes her. She says, what are you doing? Can't you see? I'm running all over the house. And why don't you give me a hand? And our Lord stops her. He can see what she's doing, but he stops her. And he says that Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has chosen the better part because she's freer of these things and she's dedicated her life more to him. And this, he says, later on in the gospel, he says that, that the person who does this will be rewarded, not only in the next life, but also already here in this life. If you leave everything for my sake, you will receive, he says, Mark chapter 10, a hundredfold in this life and life everlasting in the world to come. Now, what is that? What could that possibly be? It's not material possessions. It's not these things that have been given up. What is that? I think the only thing that we can, we can surmise or we can see through this is, well, first of all, we don't know how our Lord will reward somebody who has consecrated their life to God. So that's something that's beyond us. But mostly, I think we can, we can translate this as that our Lord Jesus Christ will give himself to the consecrated soul in a special way that will reward them more than what they have given up for that. But a vocation doesn't only benefit, benefit the individual who consecrates their life. A vocation is, is a necessary instrument of grace within the church. 
And we see that God seeks out and God uses these people who have consecrated themselves as instruments of his grace. We see it already in the New Testament. Who does our Lord Jesus Christ spend the majority of his life with? 30 years of his life he spends with Mary and Joseph. Both of them who, who were consecrated virgins, who had almost no possessions, and who obeyed the will of God at whatever occasion that they could. And he spends the majority of his life with them, and we know, still today, they are the most powerful saints that can intercede for us. And even still today, those, those men and women who consecrate their lives to God through religious vocations, they are what you might call the, the life of the church. Without, the church, without these, these, these men and women consecrating their lives to God, their grace would, wouldn't be able to work in the church. Archbishop Lefebvre, when he was... When he was first setting up the society in the 70s. They were setting up different chapels here, there, and priories. But he was very insistent on finding a contemplative order that could align themselves to, to the society in order to pray for their mission. Because he knew very well that you can have churches and you can have, you can have different priories and you can have different apostles, but without prayer... It's all a farce. And grace only works through prayer, and especially through, through those who have dedicated their lives to God. And we don't know when we see a conversion, you see people come back to, our, come back to God or come back to the church. Why is that? Of course, it's a mystery of grace. But often, behind that mystery of grace, you have maybe a monk or maybe a nun that's, that's, that's cloistered in her cloister, praying for that soul, and that's why that person is touched by grace. So let us use this occasion today to, to be grateful for those who have given their lives to God and to pray that those who are invited might hear that call. This invitation that God extends to those to, to consecrate their lives to God, it, it's not specific to one individual person. He invites all to this life. And certainly not everybody are cut out, not every person is cut out for it. God does want those certain, most people to be married, but he does extend this invitation to all people. And surely some people here in this church God is extending that invitation to you. He doesn't force, and he doesn't guilt, but he waits, and he invites. And in today's world, more than any other time, we, we, the, the world needs to see that people still have that faith to consecrate their lives to God, to disappear into a convent or a monastery, and to give their life completely to God. Because that, more than any other words or any other kind of thing that we can say to convict them, that is going to be more convincing than anything else. 
O Lord, grant us many holy religious vocations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.